All right, there, there's nothing more encouraging than when you're coming up to speak and seeing half of the room leave, right? Uh, but nonetheless, we'll, we'll press on. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to the book of Galatians. We'll be in Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5. Now, uh, what we're going to be reading through in verses 13 through 26 is, uh, as, as Paul normally does in his letters, is he kind of shifts to this, to these pastoral concerns. So he kind of gets a little theological. He kind of gets, uh, you know, into this explanation of addressing some issues. And then he moves into what we would call his pastoral concerns. Like, okay, so how do you practically now live out the truths that I've just mentioned to you? And so when we look at Galatians in chapter one, And chapter 2, Paul basically solidifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, right? Galatians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Christ Jesus and God the Father, right, who raised him from the dead. And he he works through that. He talks about how uh, he went up to Jerusalem and he met with the apostles there. And then even after that, he had to rebuke Peter and... He solidifies himself as, hey, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then in chapters 3 and 4, he kind of goes on this discourse of justification by faith, right? Because the Galatians uh, were struggling with these individuals who happened to follow after Paul, and they would come in and say, listen, believe in Jesus, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you have to become Jewish in order to be fully saved, right? And so uh, they were what, what we would call, or as we have termed, Judaizers who are coming in and saying, it's Jesus Christ plus circumcision, plus becoming a Jew. And so uh, chapters 3 and 4, Paul talks about that. And then chapters 5, he transitions now into his pastoral concerns. And the first thing he encourages the believers to do is to stand firm in their freedom in Christ, Right? And he says, if, if you circumcise yourselves, Christ would be of no advantage to you. All right. And, uh, he goes into the negative aspects of legalism. And when we get to chapter five, verse 13, we see that he now moves into what does it look like to be free in Christ? And that's what we're going to read through and talk about this morning. So we're going to start. In verse 13, reading, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. It says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. 
I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity and this freedom that we have to come together and listen to it and to read it. Father, we pray that the preaching would not be done with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, our culture has kind of transitioned uh, into this uh, mentality of being an entrepreneur, right? I mean, you see shows on TV like Shark Tank, and where these entrepreneurs can come in and instantaneously become millionaires, right? And uh, so we've seen this shift that people desire more and more to work for themselves in our culture. And despite the fact that people who work for themselves earn less, work more, have fewer benefits, and experience more on-the-job stress than those who work for others, a majority of Americans would prefer to be entrepreneurs, And that's because workplace autonomy is a powerful motivator, right? And so we see this push that, hey, I want to be free. I want to be my own boss, right? And we see the desire of this freedom. But there's this one individual, and he was like, I'm quitting my job, and I'm going to work for myself. And he says, so what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to be an influencer, And I said, a what? An influencer. Yeah, I'm going to go on Instagram and I'm going to get so many followers and I'm going to be able to influence them to go and buy other products and then they pay me money just to put pictures on Instagram. It's very easy. And so he set out to do that. He quit his job and he loved his freedom. He said, man, I'm loving it. I I don't, you know, I, I get my own hours. I don't have to spend all this time doing anything. And I said, and so it's like, well, how much money have you made? Well, actually, I'm going into debt pretty bad. Well, how come? Well, because I'm still at the 300 followers that I had when I quit my job. And now, so how many followers do you have to get in order to make money? Well, they say it normally kicks in when you're around 100,000 followers. And I said, wow, so what do you have to do to get more followers? Well, I'm not really sure. So what have you been doing this last month as you weren't working? Well, I've been enjoying myself. But see, he wasn't really investing the time to say, hey, I got to get familiar with the algorithms. I got to I got to get familiar with how I pitch myself to companies so that they can see that I can influence these people to buy their products. See, he loved his freedom, which is something we're all excellent at. Right. We love our freedom. But where we really fail is to understand how do we exercise that freedom. And that's exactly what Paul tells us. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. And first, he comes and he wants to address the issue that they were having because they expressed this freedom, right? The believers there were like, we're free in Christ Jesus. 
We love Jesus. And, but what was happening is because the Judaizers came in and they were be creating all these different legalistic mentalities, division came into the church. And so people begin as we do with ourselves, right? We begin to compare ourselves to others, right? And we begin to say, well, look at how righteous I am. You know, I attend whenever the church's door is open, I'm there. I can't believe people aren't always there. Now, is should you be here when the doors are open? Yes, absolutely. But if you're legalistic about it, it kind of removes the whole meaning of being here when the doors are open. And that is addressed in a specific way. Now, we're not going to get into how it's addressed because Paul gets into that in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, and how we address the issues of sin. But the, the reality is we create these standards and we begin to compare ourselves when we're legalistic, right? And uh, legalist, legalism, how I've seen it, right, is basically where you have elevated something to the point where you have said, this is what causes me to be righteous and others not righteous, so if I read my Bible for four hours and I create that, so how often should I read my Bible every day? Four hours because that's what I do, right? That's legalism because there's nowhere in Scripture where we can really open up and say, this is how long you should be doing it. And so these were the issues in, in verse uh, you know, 15. Paul says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And when he's saying, if you bite and devour each other, he's kind of using... Uh, this this metaphor in the sense of that the, the the way the language speaks is that Paul's talking about two animals who are in a pack and they actually begin to fight to the point where one of them are devoured. We see it all the times. So you don't see it maybe here in the States, but in, in Jamaica, we see it all the time because there's tons of stray dogs. And you see about three, four, three to five of them walking around. And if you throw them anything to eat, Man, they just bite and devour each other so they can get that piece of food, right? And that's what Paul's saying. Like, if you end up doing that, you're going to be destroyed. So he wants to encourage them. Watch out. Pay attention to that. And then even as you get to verse 26, Paul says uh, the same thing. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other, right? So Paul has this concern and he's saying, how do we fix this concern? And the real way that we fix this concern is by igniting our freedom or employing our freedom or understanding our freedom in Christ and then improving our freedom in Christ. So when we look and we say, how do we ignite our freedom in Christ? Well, Paul starts out by saying, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. So we have to create that as a foundation, right? And when Paul talks about freedom, right, it's not this mentality that, yes, Paul wants me to be free. I accept Jesus. I move on with my life. I get to spend eternity in heaven. And that's, that's my freedom. And now I can do whatever I want while I'm on this world, right? While I'm on this earth. And Paul's saying that's not true freedom because true freedom is doing what you were created to do. And what you were created to do was to fellowship with God, 
live in union with God, right? Unity with him and that you were to walk with him as Adam did in the beginning and you're to worship him and you're to exercise dominion in the way that God is glorified through it, right? That's what you were created to do. And so he's reminding us that you were called to be free. This is a calling of God. It's not just some random act that, hey, things went really bad. God didn't know what he was doing. And But no, God, he, he's called you to this freedom. And Paul says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So we begin to see how do we ignite our freedom? By serving one another humbly in love. And you see, when we talk about being free, we're talking now where we can go alongside someone and serve them humbly in love. You know, I was, I was struggling in Jamaica because one thing that Jamaicans do really well, and my, my son is Jamaican, my youngest one, right? And for some reason, I think maybe it's just because you're born there, but when it comes to birthdays, we celebrate birthdays. We might not have a dollar to our name, but we're going to go all out and we're going to say, hey, this is my, my birthday month. This is my birthday week. This is my birthday weekend, right? And my son, his birthday is July 26. And I think for the last month, that's all he's been saying. My birthday, I'm going to get truck. My birthday, I'm going to get truck, right? And, uh, you know, we, we celebrate birthdays. And so, uh, and you see so many persons, we have to give thanks. God has given us another year and we're so thankful. And I remember this one brother, uh, very, very close friend of mine, and he was just, Brother Mike, I have to give thanks. God has given me life. He's given me another year. And I'm saying like, so, so why are you so thankful for that? It's like, well, what do you mean? Because I have life. I'm living. I'm breathing. You know, some people aren't as blessed as me and they, they died in their sleep or they're not living. And I, and I said, well, I don't know. When I read Philippians and Paul tells me that, hey, it's far better to be with Christ. Right? No amens. I don't know if it's just because that's our culture or the, or, or, you know, but I'm used to everybody, you know, amen, amen. But so that's, that's what Paul says, right? And so I began to struggle through that. And what I've come to realize is exactly what Paul said. He said, it's far better to be with Christ, but nevertheless, I am here for your sake. Paul understood that the only reason the only reason God was preserving his life was not because he can sit back and enjoy the pleasures and luxuries of the world, but that he can serve those in whom God has brought into his life. And that changed my perspective of how I'm living because I am a type of individual that was really focused on myself. Right? I can't, I can't wait until my youngest son, Aiden, he's three now. I can't wait till he's five. And you say, why? Because when he wakes up in the morning and he says, can I have a glass of milk? I can say, go get it yourself. I'm looking forward to that day, right? But now I say, can I have a glass of milk? If I say, go get it yourself, it'll just make more work for me. So I have to be conscious enough to wake my wife up and say, Aiden wants milk, <laughs> right? But so we're there and that's the concept that we have, right? That we want to somehow make our lives easier. We want to make our lives more convenient. The focus is driven to ourselves. But Paul's saying, you're missing it. That's not living in freedom, 
right? Because the reality is you're always going to be fulfilling these deceitful desires. Because as I've learned, right, that yes, once once my son is five years old, right, I'm not going to have to get him a glass of milk. But now, because he's probably more like me, I'm going to have to deal with somebody who's going to be talking back to me more often, right? I'm going to have to, you know, spend more time in conversation, right? My daughter's seven now, and nothing is more uh, enjoyable to me than when we get to sit and have coffee together. But again, sometimes I want to read, and she comes alongside, and she wants to interrupt my reading. But I've learned that I have to say, no, I need to talk with my daughter. That's a great opportunity, right? And that's just a small context. But how does it open up? into the bigger context of our lives. How do you serve people at work? Right? How do you serve people in the context of the church? Oftentimes we think of church. I had one brother where we're, we're struggling a little bit in the church that we're in fellowship at. And he's about 24 years old. And he didn't come to church. And so I just asked him, he's like, ah, you know that one brother was speaking and you know how I feel about him and I feel the same way, you know, no problem. All right, you know. And I looked at him, I said, but you know, sometimes you going to church encourages somebody else. Like when I see him, I get encouraged. When I don't see him, I kind of go through the motion. But when I see him, I get encouraged. And I told him that. And he realized like, wow, that's an opportunity to serve. And so, yes, sometimes it's difficult to get here. But as we get here, serving others can just be by coming Right? Because you can be encouraging them. So we have all these different opportunities to serve one another humbly in love. And I've always, I I love how Paul has added here in love because sometimes it can be easy to serve when it's convenient. But when we see it in love, where there's that type of sacrifice, right? Where somebody might ask for a ride home and they're going right, but you have to go left. Hey, it might be inconvenience, but it's an exercise to serve them humbly in love. And so we see that the first opportunity we have is to, by igniting our freedom, by understanding our freedom, is to serve one another humbly in love. And Paul goes on to say, for the entire law is fulfilled, fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now it's interesting, I, sometimes I use the NIV because... Uh, I, I don't, and I'm not saying this from a scholarly level, but I don't like how they translate it, all right? Because if, if you have a different translation, it's probably not similar to this, right? For the entire law is fulfilled, some of your translations might say in this one word, right? Or through this one word. Because that, that idea of the entire law being fulfilled, it has to have an implied agent. Meaning, who is doing the fulfilling, Right? The NIV has added words to say that the one who is doing the fulfilling is the believer. So the believer comes along and is able to fulfill the whole law by what? Loving your neighbor as yourself. Right? Now, if you see an ESV translation or you see a King James version, they're going to say that we really don't know the implied agent. And that's why they they use the term uh, one word. But if we're talking about the book of Galatians as a whole... It seems that when Paul focuses on this idea of the law being fulfilled, that it's Christ who has done the fulfillment, right? Christ even says in Matthew chapter 5, I did not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. And so I kind of agree more with that, that in other words, the entire law is fulfilled by Christ and it happened by him loving 
his neighbor as himself, right? As himself. And so he left the splendors of heaven. He came to the sin-cursed earth, right? Even as Hebrews tell us that he, he took on flesh so that he would destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and he took on that flesh so that he can have brothers and sisters in a sense, right? And that we can become children of God. And so when we look and we see this, that the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself, it's that we're looking to the example of Christ as what it means to love others and to serve others, right? He was there in the upper upper room and he washed the feet of the disciples. And they're saying, you know, Peter... I, I think of myself as a Peter, right? He opens up his mouth before he thinks. And so there he is. Uh, and the, the Lord's washing his feet. He says, Lord, you won't wash me. And he says, hey, if, if I don't wash you, you'll have no part of me. He says, oh, wash my whole body. And he's like, All right, that's no, I don't need to do that. I just need to wash your feet, right? And so Jesus Christ taking that lowly place and washing the feet. That's the example that we're looking at. That's how the law was fulfilled by Christ going to Calvary. By him, a just man dying for an unjust man, right? And paying my sin penalty by paying the price that I have to pay before God. And so Christ did that for us. And that's the example that we look at. So when we see how do we ignite our freedom, how do we understand our freedom? It's by understanding that we are to serve one another humbly in love. And oftentimes, this is a learning process. This is not something that comes easy, all right? And we're going to talk about how do we improve our freedom in a second. But growing does not come easy. So don't think of it that, but I don't like to serve people because that's me. I don't like to, I like to serve one person and that's myself. And I've, and I'm thankful for the time that I've had in Jamaica because that really taught me how to serve others, right? And it's a process in which you grow. And then when you begin to see the Lord work in your life, Serving others becomes enjoyable because you see God working in you. And when you're serving others, most of the times you're going to receive just as much benefit as those whom you are serving. So that's point number one. Point number two is that Paul is saying, walk by the Spirit. All right. And verse 16, he says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And he says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, right? And it's so that you are not to do whatever you want. If you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And so when Paul comes along and he says, walk by the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We have made this a part of our family mission statement, right? It's a part of it where we say, walk by the spirit so that We will not gratify. And the way Paul words it, he uses like a double negative. Uh, We don't do that in English, right? Because that just, that sounds wrong. So what we say, we won't won't talk in double negatives. But what Paul's really saying is that if you walk by the Spirit, you will absolutely in no way, shape, or form gratify the desires of the flesh. It's a promise. And we need to hold on to that. That, that promise, right? And so when Paul's saying, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, I want to know what does he mean, walk by the Spirit, right? And so he has to explain what's happening as a believer. And so he basically comes in and he says, okay, this is the situation that you find yourself in as a follower of Jesus Christ, right? You have the flesh, all right? And the flesh is that sinful nature. And 
you have that flesh, your, that flesh is in conflict with the Spirit of God. Because when you're a believer, right, you're baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. You're a part of it. And as we read this morning in the Lord's Supper, right, that you're sealed with it, that you're guaranteed with it. In other words, God gives you the Holy Spirit as a down payment. He says, you are my child. And here's my Holy Spirit. And he dwells inside of us. He lives inside of us. And now he's leading us, right? But there's our sinful nature that's still there. And the flesh and the spirit are in conflict with each other. And he says, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Now, again, there's a couple different ways that that could be understood. But when we're talking about the spirit of the flesh being in conflict with one another, right? What Paul is really emphasizing here is he's trying to tell us that you, in a sense, lose your autonomy. You lose your freedom in the sense that you don't get to do what you do. You now have the Spirit of God, which is leading you, and you now have the flesh that is there, which is trying, which is in conflict, trying to convince you to do otherwise. Whereas if you're not a believer, you have the flesh, you have your will, right? But the, the flesh isn't really in conflict with your will because what you're choosing in a sense, isn't bringing honor and glory to God, but bringing honor and glory to yourself, right? And so that is now removed because you have the Spirit of God, you have the flesh, and they're in conflict with each other. And so that you're not to do whatever you want. Either you're going to do with the Spirit, right? You're going to yield to the Spirit, or you're going to yield to the flesh. So when you're walking by the Spirit, the question that you're asking yourself is not like, what is the process in which I can walk by the Spirit, but who are you yielding to? And oftentimes, how do we ask, what do we ask in order to say we want to walk by the Spirit? What we normally say is, hey, is this sinful? Right? I get to work with college students. And, you know, one of them might come up to me and say, hey, you know, I'm dating this girl. I want to ask her to marry me. But as the culture says, I got to get out of school. I got to get a job. I got to get a house. Then I can support her. Right? That's That's what the culture would say. And so... But, you know, is it sinful for us to kiss? And I used to have a tough time answering that question because, uh, you know, one, I struggled with it when I was younger. But two is that, uh, you know, where can I pull up and how can I really lead them into a discussion? But when I studied this here, I began to realize we ask the wrong question. We ask, is it sinful? Is it sinful for me to go see Toy Story 4? Right? I don't, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, you know, maybe for some it is, maybe for some it's not. Because that's not the question we should be asking. That's why it's so difficult to answer. The question we should be asking is, is this of the Spirit of God or is this of the flesh? And now it change, that changes everything. Right? It changes everything. I will openly admit that I went to go see Toy Story 4 when it was raining all money, morning at 9.30, okay? I'm not endorsing the movie. I'm not saying that you should go to movies, right? Go based on your personal conviction. But it is something that I have to say, am I doing this, right, in a way that God is glorified through it and it's a leading of the Holy Spirit or is my flesh just telling me I really need to see what happens to Woody? <laughs> all right? Because that's what I was so curious, what was going to happen to him, Right? But no, it could be an opportunity, and I'm giving you something that it's it's kind of silly, but it's something that we should all as Christians be working through, right? Is that this is a time where I can show that my family, we come together, we spend time as a family together, I'm with them when I'm doing something, they get to enjoy it, I get to enjoy it, we get to laugh together, and we get to come out, and now we can talk about it, and then 
it can even spark some conversations, right? And again, that might seek like, well, you're just trying to justify it, right? But then there's the other point where it could be selfish. Ah, I have nothing better to do with my time. Uh, you know, I, I read my three verses of the day in my devotion, so now I'm going to go do whatever it is that I want to do, right? So something that can be the same exact choice that both of us make, one of us is doing it based on the leading of the Holy Spirit. One of us is doing it based on the leading of the flesh. So if you really want to understand what it means to walk by the Spirit, you have to understand what question you should be asking yourself. Is it of the Spirit that's leading me, or is it of the flesh that is leading me right now? And so Paul then goes on to say, so we see how we ignite our freedom, how we engage in our freedom, right? We engage in our freedom by serving one another humbly in love. We engage our freedom by walking by the Spirit. And now how do we improve that freedom? And Paul talks about the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And he goes on to say, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Now, we could break up, uh, and I've seen many persons do this. I, I don't necessarily agree with it, but it, it could help for memory, and it does help for memory, right? That the acts of the flesh, Paul breaks them down into uh, sexual sins, spiritual sins, and uh, social uh, social sins, right? So we see in the first group, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. And in other words, Paul is saying that th- these acts are obvious, right? And so when you hear sexual immorality, when you hear impurity, when you hear debauchery, and you're there uh, listening to Paul's letter in that culture, you're going to say, yeah, amen. But then Paul kind of moves into the social aspect of what the acts of the flesh are, which is hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. And then we can even throw drunkenness and orgies in there because drunkenness is kind of this concept of, yeah, you're getting drunk, but then we we have created orgies in in a sexual term, right? But the reality is like Paul's just saying where you're doing anything in excess, Right. And so you're not only getting drunk, but you're getting drunk with a whole bunch of people. And it's kind of like this big, crazy uh, party type of thing. And so but, so that could be social as well. But when Paul starts talking about hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, what, what do you think is happening to the hearers? That's exactly what was happening. And so Paul is striking them. Right. Uh, look at the two. These two are what caught me. Right. Fits of rage and selfish ambition. I don't know if it's just because I have three children uh, that my fits of rage occur more often, all right? I don't know if that's the reason or if it's just, boy, I just give up to the flesh quite often, right? Um, but sometimes I, I, I recognize that I can get angry when I shouldn't, all right? And I, I'm so thankful for my children because, and I recognize when God says they are a gift and they are inheritance from the Lord, um, that's part of the reason why is that they cause me to look more like Christ, because I have to pause when I'm about to have this fits of rage. I have to say, no, I can't do it. Annabelle, please go lay on the bed. I'm in America, so I can't say what I do. We have a discussion, all right? And so there I am, and I have my discussion, and it's a calmly, right? And now it's to the point where if I have a fits of rage, and I love the type of person my daughter is, Dad, you know, you shouldn't really yell at me like that. I know I'm doing something wrong, but don't yell at me like that. And I'm like... Ah, you're right, right? I had to kind of step in and agree with her. So fits of rage kind of strikes me. But then not only that is selfish ambition, right? And we ask ourselves sometimes like, 
Well, what does that mean? I mean, it's to this point where you're elevating yourself and your desires to the point where you're going to achieve your goals and your dreams no matter what. We have elevated selfish ambition in our culture. And it happened, it's happening where it's like, you need to be great. And if my daughter's not doing everything that everybody else is doing and we get on top of them and we drive them and, and it's, it's not because we want them to bring honor and glory to God. It's because we want them to reflect how great of a parent we are, right? Or we want to go and do something because we want it to be a reflection of how great we are. And so we have to be cautious of that. And that's exactly what legalism does. And that's exactly what the Judaizers were creating. Listen, you need to do more. You think it's really simple enough to, to acknowledge Christ as Lord and Savior and to go on and just live in peace and, and love and joy? You think that's possible? No, right? And so they were coming and say, you have to get circumcised. You have to observe the Sabbath. You have to do all the things that you were to do if you were Jewish. And so uh, when we look at this list, you can see that they probably heard some things. They're like, yeah, I don't do that. Sexual immorality. Now, when you're writing a list too in the Greek, it's, it's kind of like the culture of the time would say, whatever you put first is kind of, of, of utmost importance, right? And so Paul does it, catches their attention. Sexual immorality. That's not us. Thank God that we, that we're not acting of the flesh, but when he gets into these other ones. And Paul says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so Paul had a conversation with them. And, uh, I think it's something that we struggle because it's not that as we just saw previously that there's not conflict. It's not that you're going to live this perfect life, right? But when Paul's saying that, uh, you know, those, those who live like this will not inherit the, the kingdom of God, it's how they're identified, right? Like e- even in our world, in our culture, we'll see somebody who, uh, might be what we would call you, you know, they go out a social drinker, right? And they get drunk Friday, Saturday, right? But the world doesn't identify them as a drunkard, right? But they identify somebody who is a drunkard as somebody who comes along and basically is just drunk all the time and they're just going through that process. And so th- there's this conflict that exists, right? But when Paul's talking about that, they, that those who live like this, it's, it's, we're not identified by it, right? Because even when we're following Christ and we're baptized, right, we are identifying ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have conflict, that you're not going to struggle with any sin, but you're not going to be identified in such a way, right? And so uh, Paul's encouraging them, if you want to improve your freedom, understand what the acts of the flesh are, right? And that you're not, you're not, living like this you should not be living like this and he goes on to say but so then how do we live the fruit of the spirit is what love joy peace i say patience but nnv says forbearance kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control it's just interesting to see how paul uh kind of changes uh the acts of the flesh right he uses it in a plural way the acts of the flesh are obvious But now he goes into this singular, but the fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. And the reality is, is because I think Paul does that for a couple of reasons, right? He uses this term fruit because he wants us to recognize that you cannot feel growth. You can only measure it. All right. So like, in other words, if you have a mango tree in your backyard, right? 
you can't look at the mango growing. All right. Now, if you do a slow lapse video and all that technology that we have, but you really can't see it. I mean, even uh, I think somebody said it about Aiden. Wow. You know, our youngest son, he looks so big. And we were we the last time we were here was 10 months ago and he looks so big. But you didn't you can't really just see that. I can't even see it. The only way I can do is measure it, right? So we put him up against the doorpost and we say, oh man, three months ago you were down here and now you're up here, right? And that's kind of the spiritual life, right? We can't just come along and just say, okay, we can see them growing in the spirit of God and, and we can see them yielding to the spirit. No, but we can measure it, right? We can measure it based on their knowledge of the word of God. We can, you, you can measure somebody's spiritual growth in just how they pray. I'm not saying you have to pray all significant, but some, sometimes you've seen little children who pray to God the Father and they say, thank you for dying on the cross for me, right? And then they begin to transition. So you see the growth, you measure, you're able to measure it according um, to the word of God. So that's number one. The other idea is that um, we see that Christian growth is inevitable, meaning that it's going to happen because of the seed, right? So when we think about fruits and how they grow, they grow because of that seed that is inside of them. For us as Christians, our seed is the Holy Spirit. So when he moves into our life and he's, he's living inside of us and he's dwelling inside of us, how can we not expect growth? It's inevitable. It's going to happen. And now this, this isn't to, Paul's not doing this to scare us and say, well, am I really a Christian? Because how much have I grown? How much? But the truth is that, and the reality is that Paul does encourage us to test ourselves and to examine ourselves. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. How have I grown? Right? And that, that's, you know, we like to make New Year's resolu- resolutions and we talk about losing weight, but do we also measure our spiritual growth? Do we look back and say, how have I grown this last week? How have I grown this last month? I mean, one of the reasons I love to do a weekly Lord's Supper is because I measure my growth at least every week. Because the Bible tells me that I have to examine myself. So I go before the table, I'm examining myself and I get to see like, boy, I only yelled at my children maybe like four times this week instead of 10, right? And so I see that growth and now pretty soon I'm, I'm calmer than my wife, which would be like only the work of the Holy Spirit living inside of me, right? And so, um, you know, we see that it's because of the seed. And so we need to measure ourselves and recognize that the seed inside of us is going to cause us to grow. I don't know what that looks like for each of you. I can't tell you, hey, this is where you were. This is where you will be. That's something that's internal. And that's that's another focus is that what Paul encourages us is that um, the fruit of the spirit, right? He could have said what? Giving alms, reading the scripture, meeting together, right? He could have given all of those aspects that were external actions. But what Paul does is he talks about internal organic growth, so to speak, right? And so you have this internal growth that's happening and that's working through you where you're, you're, you're showing more love, you're showing more joy, and, and you know how to measure it. And Paul actually even says of himself, right? He, he says that I don't even judge myself. It will be Christ who judged me. And in, within that context, he's talking about the works that he does, right? And so sometimes we think that we can measure our growth based on the outcome of others, right? Like we look and we say, 
boy, I, I must have the spiritual gift of teaching because when I teach the word of God, so many believers are encouraged and they leave understanding. And, you know, again, that's, that's one aspect of how we can identify it. But don't forget, as Paul has mentioned, that God will use things that humans meant for evil, right? Or that they were just focusing in on themselves and they were just uh, trying to, to work out their salvation. They were trying to work for their salvation, so to speak. And Paul says, you know, God will use that. But when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, it's this eternal, uh, internal, organic growth. And that's one reason why he would use it. And then the other idea is that, remember, it's fruit, not fruits. I remember when I was speaking on the book of Revelation, and I said, revelations. And somebody came up to me afterwards. I was like 19 years old and said, thank you for your word. I just want to encourage you that it's not revelations. It's revelation, right? And while I'm at it, I'll tell you that it's not fruits of the spirit. It's fruit of the spirit and that it's singular. And so that has always stuck with me ever since. And here I am saying it's singular, but why is it singular? Because all of them are working together as one. Right. And so in other words, you can have people who are naturally gentle. Right. I mean, I mean, you know, think about it. My wife, I would say she's naturally gentle, like she kind of avoids conflict. She kind of, uh, you know, just wants to be caring of others. And and I love that about her. But sometimes that gentleness that she shows, right, can have no love because it's easier to be gentle Whereas love sometimes calls us and says, you can be gentle, but you have to address the issue that is occurring, right? And so when, in other words, if I have a conflict with someone, so maybe I have a conflict uh, with Mike, and because I want to be gentle and I'd want to, I can't believe he said that while he was speaking. Sometimes I do those types of things, right? And she'll just be gentle, and she won't mention anything, and she'll just say, really good, okay, I think this, you know... Uh, you know, it was good. I enjoyed it, right? So that tells me that I have to see what was it, right? And so we have to build it. Whereas, you know, no, I love him to the point where I'm going to tell him that he shouldn't have talked about this and he shouldn't have said this, all right? And so we see the fruit of the Spirit working together. And so when we talk about uh, igniting our freedom, all right, how do we ignite it? How do we understand it? How do we employ it? It's by serving one another, humbly in love. It's by walking by the Spirit. How do we improve that? Understand what the acts of the flesh are. Why do you want to understand them? Because when you understand them and you begin to act, you're saying, this is the flesh speaking. This is the flesh speaking. I want to yield to the Spirit. How and what should I be doing? Right? And then you also want to understand what is the fruit of the Spirit. How do I grow? Because when you begin to understand how you grow as we worked through it, then you will see, okay, I'm yielding to the Spirit or I'm yielding to the flesh. And Paul encourages all. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, In the spirit, let us keep in step. Now, I switched it because that's the original language. And so Paul uses, when he says, you know, now since we live by the spirit, right? He says spirit again, which is emphasis in the original language there. 
And so what Paul is saying is that we live by the Spirit. So it only makes sense to walk by the Spirit. You have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so what we all need to employ in our lives is this idea of walking by the Spirit. We are walking by the Spirit. Right? If I'm truly a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm walking by the Spirit. Right? I'm living by the Spirit, so therefore I need to walk in the Spirit. And he encourages finally to say, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Right? And so when you employ, right, or when you ignite your freedom and when you improve your freedom, we don't need to become conceited. We don't need to become stuck up, right? We don't need to provoke each other, and we don't need to envy one another. And so I encourage us all as we leave here this afternoon that we would focus on the two aspects of understanding our freedom in Christ, that we are to serve one another humbly in love, and that we are to walk by the Spirit, and let us not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that it is living, that it's active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, we just pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Father, I pray that that those who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will acknowledge their sinfulness before you, that they would acknowledge their need of a Savior. And Father, we pray that they would turn to Jesus Christ And recognize that he has dealt with our sins. Father, as for those who are followers of Christ, who proclaim to follow after him. Father, I pray that you would help us to serve one another humbly in love. Father, help us to walk by the Spirit. And Father, help us to improve that freedom that we have to serve and to love others and to love you. And so, Father, as we leave here this week, we pray that we would be a changed people for your glory. We pray that we would sin less this week than we did last week and that we would bring more honor and glory to your name as you have given us life, not to satisfy our own desires, but to serve those whom we come in contact with. Father, we think of all these things and we ask it in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.